Hey Bliss Seekers, and welcome to your online home away from home. A place where we marry ancient wisdom and modern science, so we dispel the woo-woo of spirituality to help you find authentic health, balance, and bliss. I'm your host, Ari, a specialist registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor, embodiment coach, and modern mystic. I've trained with the world's leading experts in psychology, mindfulness, and behavior change. And I am a recovered perfectionist, overachiever, and self-development junkie on a mission to help you stop being your own worst critic, to finally step into your authenticity, and return to wholeness through mind, body, and spirit integration. This is a place where imperfection is celebrated. So grab a cup of cacao, coffee, matcha, or whatever you fancy, and inhale deeply through your nose and out your mouth, and get ready to live in alignment. You're listening to Align with Ari. This episode is brought to you by my embodiment toolkit, your one-stop shop to return home to your body and rebuild trust and connection with your inner wisdom, which is already inherent to you. Embodiment is an ongoing practice. It is something we need to continue to nurture every single day to help us become our most confident, happy, and authentic selves. So at the foundation of healing, if we think about it, we've been given this beautiful, dense matter of a body to work through and feel emotion and to connect with something greater for our soul's journey. So in this toolkit, you can find various resources to meet you where you're at, whether that be breath workshops, yin yoga, yoga nidra, some gentle movement, in the day to reconnect with your body or perhaps maybe more ecstatic movement such as shaking, swaying, dancing. It also includes a daily landing meditation and a workshop on your nervous system getting close and personal with the sensations and a brief introduction to embodiment work. So what we know is when we reconnect with our bodies, we awaken our emotional intelligence and recalibrate our inner compass that knows exactly what we need, how much, and when. This is the foundation to living a healthy, aligned, and blissful life. So if you're into it, head over to my website, www.arianarodriguez.com forward slash embodiment dash toolkit and get your access to the embodiment toolkit so you can return home to your body every single day. Hey Bliss Seekers and welcome to another episode of Align with Ari, a place where we marry ancient wisdom with modern science for your soul's evolution and of course a place where we celebrate imperfection. Now I'm Ari, if you're new here, warm welcome. I'm so excited for today's chat as we will be exploring the world of embodiment. Now, this is becoming a hot topic, you know, a very popularized word, and oftentimes there can be a lot of 
misinterpretation of what it is and how to begin a practice, an embodiment practice. It is like yoga, like many things in life, it is something that is ongoing and even for, you know, the most attuned, intuitive, embodied person, this is an ongoing practice and they too, you know, I have my hand raised, can also be disembodied and in fact, this is something I need to come back to on a daily So embodiment, you know, it can sound really woo-woo, it can sound really fluffy, but I'm hoping that in today's conversation we can really ground it in something that is tangible, practical, so you can begin to reconnect with your body. Now it's something that, you know, a word that we often say and we hear in our society is like an embodied experience, right? And oftentimes, what you might notice, I know this is something I've noticed, you know, in my journey in particular, is this sense of really prioritizing the mind over body wisdom, right? Like if you think about our education systems, you know, what's prioritizing resumes and CVEs when applying somewhere or, you know, in your career, having to be quote unquote smart. It's like, what does that even mean? Because intelligence can take so many different shapes and forms. And we live in a culture and a society that really emphasizes logic, right? Strategy. And in other words, a very masculine energetic, which is very linear in thinking versus a more embodied wisdom, which is more spontaneous, more flowy, perhaps more intuitive, which is really ultimately non-linear, right? Feelings come up in the body, they shift, they move, they are transient, they are impermanent. And so it's not about A to B, but it can actually look like A, F, G, B, Z, you know, and it just goes all over, but it's learning to make peace with that non-linearity. And acknowledging that things move and it's temporary. So this is really ultimately what we often see as a top-down approach to healing. You know, if we think of talk therapy, cognitive behavioral therapies, many therapies that are quite well known, it often comes to thinking our way out of something, right? It's like, how can I revisit my childhood and understand and psychoanalyze, you know, everything that's happened to me and, you know, just understand the narrative. And although this is so helpful and important, it's a piece of the puzzle, I have to say for me, understanding is definitely helpful, but it's not enough. We often forget the bottom up approach, which is what we call somatic therapies, right? Things that emphasize the felt experience. And ultimately, we know, and the research is so robust in this area, we know the body keeps the score. We store so much in the body. We store past experiences. So yes, okay, we can think about it, 
But we also need to then move that experience, that emotional charge out and through the body as well, right? So we can't just think about it like, oh yeah, okay, I remember and I can rationalize it. Cool. How do then I move through it and then past it and then lift that weight off of me, right? That kind of metaphorical weights. And in fact, actually, when you have emotional release and when you do that embodiment work and you kind of move through unprocessed traumas, you do feel lighter. In fact, it's quite a a relief, speaking from my own experience. And of course, witnessing my clients as well. So to really dive deep, so you're probably, you know, if you're new to embodiment, that's, that's totally okay. You've probably heard of it in some way, shape, or form without using that language. But ultimately, I'm going to define it. So embodiment, also known as somatic work, okay, can be used interchangeably, but really derives from soma, which is a Greek word of the body. And so somatic work and or embodiment work really refers to the body in its full lived wholeness. It's a process of coming home to the body. And although that might sound fluffy, it's really, in other words, living with the body in its full presence and awareness. So it's really living in the full experience of the body, whether that be pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So we may have heard you know, like, oh, I'm embodied, it's all great, yay, it's all, you know, I'm at peace. But what's important to note here is that living an embodied life also means feeling all of the discomfort that comes with humanity, being human, our humanness. That might be embarrassment, shame, sadness, disgust, anger, These are all part of the human experience and living embodied also means sitting with that. Now embodiment work really comes down to regulating the nervous system. So to help understand what happens in our nervous system and or brain when we are embodied or disembodied, we can break it down to three different parts. At the very base of the neck and the beginning of the spinal cord is what we call the brain stem. And this is really responsible for that survival state, that survival response. Notably, most notably known as the fight, flight, or freeze response, right? So whenever we feel scared or threatened in some way, this part of the brain is activated. It's online. And it's responsible for perhaps sensation of, you know, that sympathetic nervous system. Maybe we feel irritated, irritable, angry, anxious, stressed, and, you know, we worry. Now, further up from this is what we call the limbic system. That's more kind of in the middle part of the brain. And this is also what we call the emotional brain, the emotional state And this is tightly correlated with that brainstem, that lower part, as when we feel threatened and we are, you know, our survival mode kicks off, then we have the emotions that come with that. And so these are both typically online when we are activated, when we feel disembodied, when we are disembodied rather. 
And so this is responsible for when we feel perhaps also withdrawn, right? So we in the What is Living in Alignment episode, we talk about the kind of window of tolerance being, you know, above overstimulated and or understimulated, what we can also call hyper or hypo arousal in kind of neuroscientific terms. And what we know, we can also be withdrawn. This is where we can feel disconnected, numbing, depression. And that third part of the brain, which is what helps us with our humanness, right? The perks of being human is that we have this third part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex. And this cortical region at the very top, you know, where your forehead is and above on the top of the head, this is like the very resourceful problem-solving part of the brain. Really important for executive functioning, getting creative, coming up with creative solutions to problems. Now you'd think this would be incredibly helpful in situations where we are under threat, we are under survival mode. But unfortunately, the brain is more primitive than we might think. And so whenever we are, you know, activated or triggered, so to speak, this prefrontal cortex part of the brain goes offline. We can't access it. So we're not as resourceful, right? We can't tap into our logical brain, our logical part, creative problem-solving part. So the element of choice feels like it goes out that window. And so centering practices and or embodiment practices help bring this frontal lobe, this prefrontal cortex, online again. It comes down to finding yourself and bringing yourself back to that window of resilience where the part where your nervous system is regulated, you feel at ease you feel present, you can mindfully engage in social interactions, you feel connected to self and to others and to the world around you. And so embodiment work really emphasizes being at peace and accepting all shades of the human experience. Now, on the contrary to that, disembodied or disembodiment is, you know, exactly what it says. It's being disconnected from the full experience. This might show itself as being numb, seeing the body as an object rather than a vessel that allows you to experience life and move through life, interact with life. Now, there are many different reasons why one might be become disconnected Perhaps if you've lived through or experienced trauma, perhaps the body doesn't feel safe to feel or to be with. If we've experienced, if we've had pain inflicted on us, it makes total sense, doesn't it? That, ooh, I don't want to be in this. This hurts. And therefore, an understandable coping strategy is, mm, how can I numb? Because I don't want to feel. So being able to honor how that served you for this long, if that is your your lived experience, it served a purpose and we can acknowledge that. Another reason might be if we've been objectified, if we've, we, you know, we feel oppressed in our society, if we've experienced social injustice, 
if we've been made to believe that our bodies are not good enough, right? It doesn't feel safe to be in that body and therefore we detach, disconnect, dissociate. Another reason might be if we are stressed. So most humans at some point, even me, get disembodied on a daily basis, right? When we're so outwardly focused on what we're doing, on the never-ending to-do list, on whatever task we have at hand, on the errands we have to run, on watching the Netflix series, the next Netflix series that we're binge-watching, whatever it might be, we become disembodied because we're so outwardly focused rather than tuning inward. And that's okay, sometimes it happens. Remembering it's a practice, so it's thinking, how can we return back and just have those check-in points? Another reason might be if we're overstimulated, if we're constantly on social media, we're constantly distracting ourselves, really avoiding sitting with ourselves. It can also come from a belief system, a subconscious belief system that we are not good enough, this body isn't good enough, we are unlovable, undesirable. It makes sense that if that is our belief system, that we might not yet enjoy our own company. So it's hard to be with our body. And two other reasons why one might get disembodied is if we have social attachment difficulties and if we have sensory dysregulation. So there could also be genetic or physiological reasons for this. Part of this journey of the embodiment work is moving towards a place of seeing your body as a vehicle, as a vessel to make the most and experience all that life has to offer versus seeing it as a, an accessory. So the body is a place of wisdom that communicates to us. It is a source of intelligence versus seeing it as the thing that carries the mind which is overemphasized in our society. Because in fact, there are actually nine different types of intelligence. This is something I recently learned and I thought, you know, I guess I intuitively probably knew it, but understanding that Howard Gardner actually published this work and I thought, you know, this is so interesting. In fact, at this time, we often emphasize logical, mathematical, like reasoning type smart. But in fact, there are nine different types of intelligence, some of which include being nature smart, you know, like being able to see plants and identify which they are and remembering, you know, what trees are which and what herbs are which, being sound smart and or musical, having interpersonal intelligence, so it's like social intelligence, linguistic intelligence, some people are really great with words being intrapersonal smart, so knowing, understanding yourself, being spatially smart. You know, some people who travel and kind of just can get you back from A to B and B to A and just remember the path that you took. I'd like to think I have that one. <laughs> I love to travel, so yeah. But there are some people that just, it's like, nope, no, no recollection. And that's okay. We all have our strengths and weaknesses. There's also existential smart, which is being known as like life smart, you know, life skills, kind of like street smart, in other words. And there's also spiritual intelligence. 
So having that connection with a higher power. So there are different types of intelligence, you see. It's not just about the mind, rather, we can be smart in so many other ways, including bodily and kinesthetic smart, which is what we call body smart, being really attuned to the body. So if we were to compare the mind and body, we can break down the qualities of the mind as the thinker, the bearer of thoughts. It is what creates narratives based on past experiences that might be totally erroneous and misleading. It's also an association-making machine, right? The brain loves to simplify, to associate, to help us. It's almost like it loves to create shortcuts to make our lives easier, but it doesn't actually happen that way. (laughs) It actually makes it harder, right? So sometimes associations can be really unhelpful. And an example of that is in quite recently in a client session, we noticed that this particular client was quote unquote self-sabotaging. Now, I don't really like using that term, but just so it is colloquially used and can be helpful to understand the situation because the true self, your essence, your authenticity wouldn't sabotage. It's really comes from subconscious programming and conditioning that just needs to be unearthed, unpacked and, and you know, rejigged a little bit. So what we noticed was that as she was making progress on her journey towards becoming an intuitive eater, making peace with her body, letting herself have all her favorite foods, which she deprived herself for so long, many, many years. What ended up happening is she began to, it was almost like a fear response and something that she then identified as a pattern that actually happened every time she started a new diet. So it was kind of reappearing, even though we weren't on a diet journey at all. It was like, something's coming up here and... There was a felt sense, which I congratulated her on identifying, but it was like, ooh, I'm actually making change. Am I allowed to make change? And so by dissecting and really digging up and earthing what was going on where she started mini binging again, she calls them mini binges because it wasn't a full on binge in this case. We actually understood that, hold on a minute, she was associating Being in a smaller body, being in a smaller body with being more vulnerable, being the source of more attention, receiving more aggression, not being taken as seriously because she was quote unquote more beautiful, how she put it. And so by moving towards a place where she was more authentically healthy, With the possibility, right, there's never a promise, with the possibility of losing weight as she was a binge eater, this made her backpedal because there was a fear of, well, what if I lose weight? I'll be a target again. I'll be at risk. I'll be more vulnerable. And so notice that 
the brain was making an association with if I am thinner or smaller, I am threatened. And therefore, she quote-unquote self-sabotaged, right? And then the binges were originating from this place. So the mind loves to make associations. And so a lot of our behaviors can come from that. Now, if we, on the contrary, explore the qualities of the body, the body is the feeler. It is the bearer of feelings and sensations, It is where the heart and the soul live. It is connected to your higher self. It is where intuition arises. Intuition can be, you know, is a felt sense. It is the knower, whereas the mind is the observer. All right, so let's get down to business and talk about the truth of embodiment work. Before we get into the practical practices you can get into and start weaving into your day, your weeks, your months, whatever it might look like for you, the truth is embodiment work is extremely simple, but it is not easy. It is not easy to be in your body and to be human, okay? First and foremost, Mark Walsh, who is an embodiment coach and expert says that the hero's journey of the modern age is to prioritize feeling, to learn self-care over escapism and addiction. He says that the hero makes time for stillness, meditation, yoga, and nature. And so what I love that he emphasizes is prioritizing feeling. Right, so often we're so disconnected from feeling because we've been conditioned to believe don't feel, don't be a crybaby, suck it up, buttercup, right? All these sayings that have led us to believe that if we demonstrate feeling and or emotion and or vulnerability, we are weak. But let me tell you, that is your strength. That is your strength. Feeling is your birthright. You are born with the capacity to engage in all five senses, to feel, to experience this life. And when you numb these feelings that come up and arise in the body, you also numb the joy and the pleasure. Now, Mark says that the most basic embodiment technique, which I love, is to notice how you are and choose how to be. Notice how you are and choose how to be. So an example of this might be if you notice your posture, just notice as you're listening to this now, notice your posture. How are you carrying yourself? And might you change it? Perhaps you notice, oof, my shoulders are like up to my ears. Woo, relax the shoulders. Perhaps your chest is like concave and you're kind of retreating, you're withdrawing. Notice what happens if you bring your heart outward, shine it forward. Notice if you stand tall, root down through your feet and extend and lengthen the spine. How does that feel? Does that change anything, if at all? 
So this is the basic embodiment technique of just noticing. A big part is just bringing awareness to the present moment. And we just practice this until it becomes habit. Now, one of the things I, you know, I wanted to share is embodiment work can show up in so many different ways. So it's not just, you know, through breath work and the things that I'll talk about now, because I will share with you my five embodiment practices that are worth trying and testing. Now, I want to caveat this with the fact that not all of these will be applicable to you in the sense that give it a good go. Like I would say, practice, like try, give it a good shot. And if it doesn't stick, if it doesn't resonate, if it doesn't bring you joy, it continues to be challenging, you know, for a very long time, despite trying, I would say maybe it's not the right embodiment practice for you. And that's okay. There's so many different forms. So I'd like to share with you a few modalities that can come up. And if this resonates, perhaps you can look into a local, you know, service wherever you are that might offer some of these. So of course there's meditation and yoga that's you know, quite popular now in this kind of new age thinking, there can also be martial arts. Martial arts requires a lot of self-awareness and there's a lot of discipline that comes with connecting to body and being fully aware of, you know, that spatial awareness that we were talking about, that spatial, you know, how you interact with the world around you as well. There can be somatic psychotherapies. These are fantastic. I love when my clients engage in this at the same time as our work together. So this might be like family constellations work, body therapy, dance movement therapy, and even psychodrama, like drama therapy. So things like theater and improvisation, like improv classes, so much fun, right? Because you need to be in your body and be fully aware of what you're doing as part of this. There's also dance. So things like ecstatic dance, it could be like conscious dance in other words, or it's slipping my brain. The like contact improvisation type movements and dance forms. And then there's also nature connection. So things like ecotherapy exist, animal human bond type work. So, you know, like equestrian type therapy. So really being in the body in the present moment, connecting with yourself, your body, your sensations with the external world around you. So there's, you know, the external and internal body and being able to use the senses can be a part of how you return back to the present awareness. So I want to share those with you as perhaps ways and avenues, if any of those piqued your interest, perhaps it might be worth exploring. Now, five embodiment practices that I definitely think are worth trying. If you don't know where to start, this could be a really great place to start. They're simple, as I mentioned, not saying it's easy, right? If this is super uncomfortable and you've been so disconnected from your body for so long, know that it's okay. We just need to start, right? We're stepping outside of our comfort zone. And the idea is to find the most comfortable discomfort, okay? So I like to say it's like chemistry class. We're titrating, right? Just because we do it once, we're not cured. It is an ongoing practice. Bit by bit, step by step, you begin to reclaim your body. 
reclaim and prioritize sensation feeling so you can really live in your purpose aligned with pleasure and play joy so number one is you probably guessed it (laughs) i would say it's my favorite place to start because it is often the most accessible so the number one recommendation is breath breathing so just as i mentioned you know you might be able to notice your posture You can also begin by noticing your breath, noticing the tempo, the depth. Is it shallow or deep, fast or slow? Just noticing, being an observer. We're just getting curious here in this practice. What's really interesting is, you know, we know the science demonstrates is that the breath is tightly correlated with the nervous system and the conscious mind. And the breath is actually, when we regulate breath, we can also stimulate the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is responsible for stimulating our parasympathetic nervous system, the part of the nervous system that regulates rest and digestion, right? It's when we feel at ease, that window of resilience I was mentioning, activating the parasympathetic nervous system allows us to re-enter into that window where we feel safe. So breath is a great anchor because you have your lungs at all times. So it's something that you can do anywhere, anytime. So begin by noticing the breath And then deepen, taking deeper inhales and longer exhales. And that is a fantastic way to begin to regulate your nervous system and come back to the body. The second is self-massage. Now, this can be extremely difficult if you've experienced trauma, especially, you know, sexual abuse is, is something that I see quite often in the clients I work with. So it can be really difficult. So what I often like to say, start with an area of the body that feels more neutral. So that might be the hands, you know, like a hand massage. Perhaps getting yourself a new lotion. You know, we can incorporate aromatherapy in here as well. Something that is soothing, maybe something that's like lavender scented. And you begin to massage the hands and just notice and be with that experience. Maybe eventually you move up to the arms. Maybe you want to start with a scalp massage, whatever feels more neutral to you, and then making your way there. You know, you're building a relationship with the body. You're learning to attune and to trust the body. The third is swaying. Swaying is a beautiful way to regulate the nervous system. Think of when you hold, you know, a newborn child swaying, you know, rocking back and forth helps soothe them and likewise yourself. So swaying or rocking or perhaps trying gentle hip circles, right? This can be a fantastic way to regulate the nervous system and just being with that experience. Maybe you want to do, you know, that also ties into beautiful, you know, conscious dance, if that's something that's one of my personal faves. The fourth is a yoga practice. So there's so many different types of yoga, but yoga in essence, its truest essence, its form and where its origins really come from, you know, almost like a movement meditation. So being, you know, uniting breath and movement together. So 
it really brings you back into the body, into the experience. So perhaps if, you know, you don't feel like doing like an, you know, a more heat building type practice like a vinyasa, what I recommend is starting with yin practice. So it's more gentle, it's more passive. You stay in poses for longer and you breathe with that. And I think it's such a beautiful metaphor for life because you begin to build resilience and tolerance, right? Keyword is tolerance to be with discomfort. You know it's temporary, right? We're gonna change poses eventually. So for example, if you're with like a gentle stretch, you might breathe into the muscle that is being stretched and where you feel that sensation, right? So you're beginning to metaphorically and quite literally build that tolerance to to sense, to feel. And the fifth practice that I would say is we're trying and testing and just being with as you get started on this journey is walking barefoot. Yes, this sounds totally hippie. (laughs) I personally love this one as well as even in grass, for example. But even if it's, you know, you don't have a park or nature close to you, even doing this at home, Walking barefoot and sensing the carpet beneath you, sensing, you know, the hardwood floors, maybe going outside and sensing the change in temperature. So just being with. So gentle introduction to embodiment is just engaging all the five senses. So whether that be aroma, whether that be textures and temperatures and touch, right? Pressure. So whatever it might be, We're really coming back to the present moment. And those would be really fantastic ways to start. Now, my recommendation when doing these practices, I invite you to consider two questions. The first is, what is the body saying? So remember that it is communicating to you. And this is part of that attunement practice and building trust with it is listening, that deep present awareness listening. So what is the body saying? And how is it saying it? How do you know it's saying that? And then the second question is, how can I resource the body? Remember, sometimes our brain, our prefrontal cortex goes offline. So instead of resourcing that part, how can we utilize the body to bring us back home to the present moment? Now, as I bring this episode to a close, I wanted to leave you with a quote that I absolutely love by Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes. And she shares with us the idea in our culture of body solely as a sculpture is wrong. Body is not marble. That is not its purpose. Its purpose is to protect, contain, support, and fire the spirit and soul within. To be a repository for memory. It is to fill us with feeling to prove that we exist. That we are here. Mm, I love that quote so much. Within it just holds so much truth so much wisdom so part of living in alignment is coming back to body your body holds so much wisdom it holds memories it holds unprocessed emotions and feelings experiences 
It holds your intuition. It is the nest for your soul. And so connecting with it is such an important part of this journey. So I will leave you with that. And until next time, see you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in to Align with Ari. Now, if you like this episode, subscribe, rate, review if you feel called, and please share with a soul sister you think would love to hear it. And if you're looking for more support, head to arianarodriguez.com where you'll find some free resources, a quiz, my embodiment toolkit, and coaching services for a more personalized approach. You can also find me at Align with Ari on YouTube or align.with.ari on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening and catch you soon.